So today is a special episode in honor of the attack on humanity by Republicans. We've gathered here uh, seven women, and we'd like to uh, talk about what's going on in the world. you here because as you know we just got uh, news a few days ago a leaked opinion uh, draft from the Supreme Court stating that Roe v. Wade among literally everyone's human rights except for well Republicans um, and white people are being taken so I've gathered all of us here because this is this is significant and I wanted the voices of this country well in this case Arkansas to um, <laughs> in San Diego <laughs> <laughs> to speak on behalf of what the hell is going on because we're here to raise awareness of the injustices that we as a species face. And this is an injustice against people with reproductive organs. My name is Julie McDonald and I am from Arkansas. I work with a group that works to elect progressive women in Arkansas because I think we all know that when women or marginalized voices are added to a conversation, different things are considered and different things happen. So that's what we're working for in Arkansas. I am Brandy Evans and I am currently a full-time student um, in psychology. I'm almost done with my bachelor's degree and um, I kind of decided to go back to school after my son, Andrew, came out as trans. He was um, assigned female at birth. So once we started looking for therapists and psychologists that were not um, basically going to be like, oh, let's pray it away or whatever, you know, because we live in Arkansas and that's a reality here. Um, I started to find that there is a huge gap in Arkansas with uh, mental health providers that are literate and knowledgeable about um, trans kids, trans youth especially. And uh, so that is my goal upcoming. And um, so that's where I'm at. But right now I have uh, my son who lives with me, um, his partner um, who is also a trans male and, um, and then I have a stepson and I, and also I kind of adopt every queer kid that walks through the door because their parents kind of suck a lot of the time around here. So hey, I am Carolyn Thorne. I am also from Arkansas, um, central Arkansas. And I know Julie is from there and she and I know each other, um, this is such an attack on women and on rights in general. Um, I'm a teacher and have been for several years. And I look like I've been looking at my kids and the, I'm a middle school teacher in the past few days. And I'm just thinking, wow, what kind of mess are we getting into? Um, I have a daughter and I have a son. So um, I don't want this for, for any of us. And Trump was the killer for me. I haven't been Republican uh, ever, but um, I, I just think we have to do the right for people, not for money and for profits. And and I am a Christian and I do go to church and all that, but I can't take it when 
we're not supposed to pray for political things in church. So um, that's one of those areas that I definitely struggle with. And uh, some of you were talking about earlier with the church. It's Ashley Simmons. I live in central Arkansas as well. I'm friends with Julie and I um, am a full-time political science major, as well as I work full-time as a disability um, educational advocate. Uh, I, I'm not an advocate. I work in disability education advocacy, so I teach other people how to advocate. Um, and oh, my sister's uh, boyfriend is a trans male, and I am a bisexual woman. I'm not really sure how my sister identifies, so I'm not going to put any kind of terms on her, but it, it she loves who she loves, and I'm here for it. So um, somehow I married a white male. I don't know how that happened, but it did. And here we are. We have two little boys. Um, one's autistic and one has chronic medical conditions. And so I'm very heavily involved with the um, neurodiversity <laughs> realm of things. So um, yeah. And then I lost my sister last year to suicide. So oh. um Jeez. It's been, it's, it put me on a path that I wasn't expecting, but, um, I'm here and yeah. Let's just jump right into it. So let's just, just right into it. I don't even where, where to begin, but what, uh, Carol, you're an educator there in Arkansas. You're on the front lines of our youth and what's happening right now in this country with the legislation being, uh, passed through 29 different States, your state, one of them, uh, over 225 anti-trans LGBTQI plus, uh, legislation bills being put through. You're on the front lines of, of some of those attacks. Can you tell us, uh, your perspective and, and, and how, how it feels to be an educator and, and see this happening? I can. I have, I am a gifted educator, um, as in I teach gifted students. So I have a little bit of that neurodiversity information going on as well. Um, kids have a lot that they're going through right now that most of us never had to really even think about. Um, I've had students, you know, I've only been at the school for two years, tell me that, um, what pronouns they want to be used. And they've told me that, um, you know, they are gay or they are lesbian or they are whatever they are. And they know that I'm going to love them regardless. I do know there are people in our district who have gotten in trouble for having a rainbow flag in their room um, and things like that. that is happening at my school. And what I'm saying here is totally hearsay. Um, but that's what I've been told. And I would consider our district much, not liberal, but much more liberal than, for example, 10 miles north where my son goes to school. Mm. Um, and they like to just uh, Trump is their favorite word. Now, some of those some of those fears, you know, we have this propaganda going that 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 specifically Republicans are, are spewing that are happening in the classrooms across this country that are not happening. And as an educator, can you speak on on that, please? Well, in my, as far as what I know, critical race theory is a um, course that can be taught in college, not something that we're doing in the classroom. I think it was. Miss Flores that mentioned uh, being a good human. I actually said that to my kids either yesterday or before. I can't remember which. And that's 
what I want to focus on. I mean, I want them to be good humans. I want them to think about their answers. I want them to um, challenge authority. And that includes me. Do I always like that challenge? No, I don't. But I learn from them all the time. And what I see is we don't want them to learn. We as a country, we as a state want them to be told what to believe, how to think, what to think. And I want to teach them to challenge all of that and that they need to be thinking, um, okay, is this true? And why do I think this is true? And is there another perspective to this? And um, I remember right after I started there, one of my little girls who is precious, this was last year. And she said, um, well, I just know that my parents didn't vote for Hillary Clinton because she kills babies. And I was like, well, you know, but as a teacher, I can't have to be super careful things that I say um, to them because just like they're believing what their parents say, I don't want to just tell them everything, them to find that information and figure it out for themselves because that's my role. Um, Again, I don't want to tell them what to think. I want to show them how to get uh, reputable sources and information so that they can learn for themselves what the real truth is. Can I add something to something that she just said, just about the, like the children. Yes. Um, So I have a nine-year-old and both of my children in the depths of 2020 attended a tiny freaking school for kids with learning disabilities. And right before the election, um, and I'm very political, obviously as a political science major, but I'm very intentional to not use terminology around my sons that will in- indoctrinate them. I want them to come up with their own ideas and their own thoughts and feelings on things. And my nine-year-old who was seven at the time came home and was like, I, we were talking about the election in school. Now these are kids that have ADHD, autism, maybe some physical disabilities, et cetera. So that, and there's like eight kids in the class. So it's a very small environment. And one of his friends literally told him, I can't vote for Biden because he has guns in his basement and he's going to kill us all when he gets elected. And these were seven year olds in central Arkansas. And my son, thank God had the wherewithal to rebuttal and say no that's just what they tell you so that you won't vote for him and I don't know how he came up with that I patted myself on the back I was like thank you Jesus but um yeah like it was a moment of very deep pride for me but also very deep sadness to see the level of hate and vitriol and lies that are just being trickled down to the kids in our state and that that is I'll uh I'll second that that is very true both of my kids has the um same civics teacher now mind you civics is learning about the constitution and the government and the things the things that you know um we all had back in school too but this is this is the government teacher basically telling their kids daily and i had to file an actual complaint with the superintendent because he told these kids that when ukraine went to war with russia or russia invaded ukraine let's just you know fact check that real quick um that uh that these kids needed to be ready because they were fixing to have their 
the government is going to start drafting them to go to war to fight for Ukraine instead of Russia, of all things. Um, and he thought that was wrong. Two, he spouts like QAnon craziness in his classroom. And he also told my son's partner, who is the child I had guardianship of, who is Latinx, by the way, that uh, we should deport every brown person in this country. He said that in the front of the classroom to a group of brown and black children. So, yeah, it's happening. But the left is the one wanting to indoctrinate these kids. Alicia, Alicia, what do you have? Jump in, please. Um, Yeah, um, everything that everyone is saying, I'm not surprised being a woman of color and um, growing up in a very small town, everything that I'm hearing is just, it's embedded. That's why when we talk about women's rights, that's when we talk about reproductive rights. Um, I try not to get too political on it because human rights is something that we should all fight for. It's not political. It should be like something that is demanded because it's just, again, the, the shared humanity through shared stories. It's just a human rights being to their own body. And um, we have to ask ourselves, like, why are we still fighting the same fight? And it's because if we do not speak out against these things that we're speaking out against now, which is the pillars of of women's oppression, which is what chauvinism, misogyny, um, um, toxic um, white male masculinity, and all of that is just a concept of the church. And being down here in the South, when you know Bible Belt, if you speak out against the church or if you're anti-religion, you know that's that's an automatic deal breaker. But as again, someone who has family that is a part of a genocide and a history of here in the United States, um, you know, my mother didn't get to raise me. Her mother didn't get to raise her. Her mother's mother didn't get to raise you know. Um, uh, her because of boarding schools and we have a family history trauma with that. So when it comes to women's rights, I just don't, when I hear people talk about, you know, politics or anything like that, it's just kind of like politics is something that I feel like, um, that's some, that's is like kind of like seeped through when we just should all be fighting for, you know, human rights, women's rights, you know, trans rights, everything um, like they mentioned too is, you know, going to trickle down. They're going to come from say for same sex marriages next. They're going to come for interracial marriage. Uh, Everything that's not of white conservative generational wealth, they are going to come for like they have been to women of color and BIPOC women when, you know, during the seventies and all the way through the early eighties, where we were going through forced sterilization through Indian health clinics that were on the reservations because, you know, we were not part of the status pro quo we were not going to be you know white christian baby so you know other than eradication through um, residential schools and forced assimilation you know um controlling women's bodies when it comes to the product and comes to them wanting to tweak society because there is now you know minorities are the highest growing populace here in the united states now this is happening but you know it's just all about white male control, church control, religious control. And we really need to start talking about it instead of stigmatizing it, that someone's going to, you know, think that you're anti-God or anti-Jesus. You know, it should just be on a platform that we all speak on that, you know, we have to talk about the church being embedded in white supremacy, white nationalism, you know, violent settler colonialism, intergenerational trauma is real. And until we start speaking about uncomfortable facts in different spaces, none of this is going to get better. We, well, we now that's their them. that's their biggest concern about that. But the, the critical race theory that they bring up is that that we they're not wanting to educate our children on what actually I happened in our past. 
I am completely against that because again, my um, being a mother of four, you know, um, Native American children have one of the highest suicide rates in the country, you know, when it comes to proper representation and um, proper acknowledgement, I think when you're just the butt of everyone's jokes and you're not actually telling the full, you know, story of a people's, especially ones that survived a genocide, it's a slap in the face. You're not giving us our platform back. You're not helping us in any manner. When it comes to reconciliation, um, when I hear that word, uh, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in reconciliation, not at this point, because there has to be a acknowledgement. And that's not only for the indigenous community. This goes for all communities of disenfranchised people. There needs to be more acknowledgement that hurt was done instead of a cover up because of shame and guilt. Everybody says love and hate is the most powerful emotion. I don't believe that. I believe shame and guilt is because we covered up mass genocide, mass murder, rape, pillage, plunder on this Western hemisphere for so long. And that was because of shame and guilt. This is what's hiding proper education. I want my son and my daughters and my future generations going to school, seeing that they're properly represented as indigenous brown BIPOC people, because we have been disenfranchised so long that there needs to be an uptick in order for us to like substantiate, like we are human beings. We have been subhuman for so long. Um, Hispanic community, black community, again, minority communities, LGBTQ trans community. We are seen as subhumans and until we start having like factual historically accurate respectful you know um realization and education i don't feel like we're ever going to really rip the rug out from underneath everything that we're going through right now because that rug is misogyny it is toxic masculinity it is um embedded white supremacy we got to remember what this land was founded on the mm -hmm. papable of 1458 i think please don't quote me you know manifest destiny if you are not a white land owning male you are basically subhuman the constitution has um he him how many pronouns in it so like you know by just by it being born you know the constitution is a misogynistic document that does not include women so what are we doing to have these conversations and these spaces to show that we have been disenfranchised and there needs to be more critical race theory spoken about and it, it, it's so funny because critical race theory it, it seems such a dramatic you know word but my children know about the horrors of our you know of our families and then we they go to school and they hear something that's like not even you know not even close to it. It's such a doctored up, but just know that minority, you know, families are teaching true history. And I think if my children had to come home, um, our house was vandalized with swastikas. Um, my husband was shot at after the women's march. If my children who are 12, 10, seven and uh, eight months old have to endure racism, then I feel like everyone at their age also should know about it because these are real life experiences happening like in around the area to people that are ch are changing lives. My children will never forget about that experience. That will never be washed away from them. They will always remember when they came home on Columbus Day, Indigenous Peoples Day, that there was swastikas and high Hitler insignias all over the side of our house that was vandalized. So what are we doing to continue to try to uplift platforms of people that are, again, disenfranchised? We have to be able to step down and kind of like um, uplift other, you know, important platforms that are sometimes uncomfortable. And what's uncomfortable, you know, when we talk about women's reproductive rights, when we talk about, you know, critical race theory, because all of that is, you know, major patriarch in you know notion all of that is storytelling it's you know sacred knowledge that has been passed down our grandmothers you know carrying that trauma we're here because we have resilience
Sorry, I can I can go on forever. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you. That's so valuable. Such valuable information. Now, now I, I, this is just a lot to set with. It feels like it's, um, you know, just thinking about what is happening in our education system, just thinking about all the lies that are told and spread um, that people believe that critical race theory is being taught just by teaching a book about people of color or written by a person of color, all of a sudden that becomes critical race theory. When in reality, we do have a shameful history that are, you know, that kids need to learn about. People had to live through it. The least kids today can do is learn how to prevent that from happening again and how to think critically about it so they understand that part of being a good human is not allowing those things to happen again. And I'm obviously political. I mean, I I work for Progressive Arkansas Women. That's what we do. We try to elect women. Um, We also try to be very um, acknowledging and knowledgeable about the transgender community, about lifting up diverse voices, that sort of thing. We want to amplify um, the voices of people who have been injured by our history, by these laws, by things that should never have happened. But as you said, the originalist constitution and if you know Justice Alito wants to have an originalist view of the Constitution, well, the only pronouns in there are he and him, and you exactly. know, where does that leave us? There's, you know, um, if you're a black person, you're three fifths human. If you're a woman, you're not even mentioned. If, I mean, I just, I don't know. I just, I have a deep, deep problem with that originalist view, and I. Uh, one thing I've noticed over and over is that often when things like this happen, when somebody pursues a goal so hard and is willing to, you know, say that the ends justify the, the means kind of thing, they don't often look at the ripple effects. They don't look at, at the policy effects. They don't look at the impacts that it will have on, on people. And I think there's just going to be a lot of ripple effects, unintended, a lot of unintended consequences of overturning this that trickle down to so many other cases and so many other groups. And, you know, I think we all have to try to turn our attention and other people's attention who may not feel the same way we do to what those unintended impacts could be and how they can impact them personally. So it's not just talking about, as Caroline said, it's not just talking about women, it's talking about everybody who can can reproduce and how this impacts them. You know, looking at at the, the case, there's really nothing so-called controversial that's happened in 
I don't know, since the Constitution, that can't be overturned at this point. You know, now, just- now, speaking of the Constitution, actually, there it is in the Constitution that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. So there is something in the Constitution that allows us to take out Republicans. I mean, I'm just being honest. Like they seem to be <laughs> such a direct threat I'm down. that that it is the 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 elected. It's not even Republicans. It's the elected officials because if the Democrats really cared enough, they would be doing something more than just than just you know fiddling their thumbs and saying, well, you know, we gotta we gotta. It's just all. It's just they. You know, and that's and I'm not and that's not me saying. Oh, well, it's not a whatism. It's it's they're cowards and not standing up. And then the and then the Republicans they got they got. The, the, the gonads to, to get things done it's just like the things they're doing are really bad and there is a form in that constitution that allows us to take out this this uh, this body of elected officials that are representing this country because what they're doing here is like a fireable offense like i don't understand how we're allowing like if i were to get on tv and i represented the company and i came on and i was like hey um, Pluto, the, the, the Disney character Pluto and Mickey Mouse are having sex and boning it. The, the company would have called me and been like, hey, um, you're fired because you can't talk like right? that. Ted Cruz, the senator, getting on national television saying that. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene, these Republicans, um, Madison Hawthorne now. I mean, this is the this is insanity. Like they really are crossing boundaries that. I should not be watching my evening news and and hearing how I just shouldn't even be hearing the things that I'm hearing. And it's absolutely insane. And I I have a pretty regular saying that I use, and that's just that, like, we need a new Congress. Ours is clearly broken. Like, it's just... Where do I, can, I, can I get that off Amazon? Where can I get the new Congress? Like, we need one. What were you going to say, Brandy? I was going to say, and I think that's why Republicans and that necrotizing turtle-looking some bitch from Kentucky, Mitch McConnell, is so up in arms about, oh, let's find the leak. This is the most egregious sin. Blah blah blah. Is because they know that little caveat in the Constitution that's like, hey, y'all cannot do your jobs anymore. This government is illegitimate. It is crap. We need to toss it out. Yes. And and that's why they are trying to push the fact that, oh, it was somebody on the left that leaked this. It was it, you know, that's the gravest of the sin, not the opinion itself. They don't want to focus on what needs to be focused on. And I did hear like a little snippet because I try not to watch like in, in real time news anymore because I, after trump i think the country just has ptsd and i, oh, and yeah. I can't you know mm-hmm. so um like i heard like a little snippet that chuck schumer is calling for a vote to codify roe and they know that they don't have the 60 votes that they would need to do so but he is doing this simply to put every senator on record as to why or why not they won't codify it 
Okay, but see the pro I have a problem with that. Sorry, I had to switch rooms for a second. So I they put it on record, but that's see, they've done that before. They've put us on the they've put on the record of January 6th. They they all stood there in in that Congress hall and they all denounced Donald Trump. And then they've all come back and now they're all horny for Trump again. And oh, yeah. it doesn't even matter that they stand on trial. No, they're no, but like, it's like there's this cognitive dissonance that is happening among the Republican Party. Aria. Yeah, I think it's important that we don't allow the Republican Party to lie about what their priorities are, because their big claim is that their priority is the sanctity of life and that they want to protect the lives of the unborn. Well, if they won't really want to do that, there are actual policies that could be implemented to protect the lives of the unborn and to better the lives of babies, children, and mothers. Policies including having a nationwide federal uh, paid, paid family leave for, uh, for women. There's, they can, we can do um, mandatory sex education all across the country. We can do um, nationwide free access to contraception. The Republican Party supports none of these policies. That's because they're, what they're really concerned about isn't really protecting the lives of the unborn. It's about control. And if you really want to find out how much a Republican cares, uh, how, how deeply they care about protecting lives and the sanctity of life, ask them why they voted for a party that's supported basically every major war and conflict in modern U.S. history. <laughs> and really quickly, I'd like to read this quote that I feel sums up pro-lifers better than I ever could. It's um, from Methodist pastor David Barnhart. He said, the unborn are a convenient group of people to advocate for. Sorry, the unborn are a convenient group of people to advocate for. They never make demands of you. They are morally uncomplicated, unlike the incarcerated, addicted, or the chronically poor. They don't resent your condescension or complain that you are not politically correct. Unlike widows, they don't ask you to question patriarchy. Unlike orphans, they don't need money, education, or childcare. <clears throat> Unlike aliens, they don't bring all that racial, cultural, and religious baggage that you dislike. They allow you to feel good about yourself without any work at creating or maintaining relationships, and when they are born, you can forget about them. Because they cease to be unborn, you can love the unborn and advocate for them without substantially challenging your own wealth, power, or privilege. Um, without reimagining social structures, apologizing, or making reparations to anybody. They are, in short, the perfect people to love if you want to claim you love Jesus, but actually dislike people who breathe. Prisoners, immigrants, the sick, the poor, widows, orphans, all the groups that are specifically mentioned in the Bible, they all get thrown under the bus for the unborn. I find it funny that Christians are really trying to convince us that the God who murdered the newborn children of Egypt, sent bears to murder little children, command Joshua to kill all the children in Jericho, now suddenly cares about, quote, unborn babies. I'm sorry, the Judeo-Christian God, that is. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, from Arkansas, we have a um, very staunch pro-life used to be the senator in my county um jason reifert <laughs> national news over and over and over Terrible. and 
I had the opportunity to testify at the Capitol against one of his bills and I could see his head explode. He was so angry. He hid after the fact so he would not have to face me face to face. But my, my argument, because I knew the committee that I was testifying in front of, I knew that they were all white Christian men. Largely, I said, look, I come from a conservative Christian household. It's not exactly how I identify anymore, but, you know, um, my Bible tells me that God gave me this gift and ability to bear children, not men. And God also gave free will and you're legislating away my God given right and ability to bear children or not. And that just made, that made that committee so mad. <laughs> um, but I think it is the, it's the truth. If you're going to legislate from a biblical perspective, which I don't think we should, by the way, but if you're going to, then let's, let's be real about it. Let's talk about the God of the Old Testament and all the things you just talked about. Let's talk about the adultery test and numbers where God prescribed to a priest how to perform an abortion if the baby was a, a product of adultery. Let's talk about the difference between, you know, um, a soul entering a body at conception versus Adam and Eve being fully formed but not alive until they took the breath of life. You know, let's talk about these things. But right. The Bible is only used by one side as a hammer and not by the knowing opposite side who could use it as a hammer as well. But we don't want to legislate based on that, you know, speaking on on the biblical thing. Now, Alicia, I wanted to touch on with your perspective on seeing this. Uh, this 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 conversation uh, in this country, I I really get I really have a hard time like respecting this country when I consider the the mass genocide placed upon indigenous people on this land because this is not this land was literally stolen like I literally cannot get past the fact that this country is not like I it is such an injustice and and i and i just like i'm i'm like putting myself over there and 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 thinking what is it like as an indigenous person sitting here listening to people talk about all these problems in this country and it's like you're not even touching on like the like we're not even talking about like the fact yeah. that like this country is not even like good it's not even i'm sorry let me rephrase that it is the people I don't know. I used to say that people were great. They are. I don't know. It's getting hard because there's like people are going crazy. But how is it? How are you hearing this on this this country when like this country is is like literally on stolen land? I don't even understand how we can have a, a conversation when your indigenous people aren't even included in the conversation. I I have this conversation with my husband a lot because it is absolutely it's kind of like this whole just my spaces that I try to occupy every day, it feels like I'm just in an, in an Airbnb and no one's listening. I'm the owner of the Airbnb, but no one's listening to me. And they're just like throwing towels and like dishes everywhere and not like when I'm just like, hey, we got to clean up, guys. And no one's listening to me saying we got to clean up. It's really 
it's really hard because you definitely never want to alienate allies. And so being, you know, a woman of color and kind of like seeing at the forefront through generations and, you know, again, my mother and my grandmothers and stuff never ever having a seat at the table. And if there was a seat at the table, you know, it had to be very controlled because like everybody else had mentioned, especially down here in the South, you know, there's a lot of, you know, um, Christian conservative households. My mother was illegally adopted out during the sixties to a um, white Anglo Christian family um, in Oklahoma. Um, they were extremely abusive to my mother. I mean, again, all, all spectrums of abuse she went through. Um, the lawyer who uh, illegally did her adoption later became a district judge um, that my grandparents used against my mother in order to keep us in the household. And we were um, put through the same trauma and same abuse, you know, mental, physical, sexual, and all of that is a part of just the assimilation process um, of us, again, for indigenous people, um, um, Hispanic, um, Latina, um, um, ex uh, communities um, fall into this category as well, you know, when it comes to that, because there was a very big uptick. And it's just kind of like, it feels almost like a continuous assimilation process, because, you know, when we think about um, the term post-apocalyptic, it means complete eradication of one's like, you know, known, you know, life, everything like culture, identity, language, a lot of indigenous people, like it seems sounds dramatic, but are living in a post-apocalyptic era because everything that we have ever supposed to organically known has been wiped out. And so it's kind of like, we have to have this kind of, you know, this, we can't be scared of rocking the boat when we speak out against the church. We can't be scared when we speak out against, you know, women's reproductive rights and, you know, say, you know, this, you know, BIPOC women have been, you know, um, going through atrocities when it comes to reproductive rights and people have been picking and choosing throughout years when we could have babies. We can't, you know, be scared of someone misinterpreting our directness and us wanting to have our own space and our own, you know, indigenous space, you know, up at the table that they may, you know, seem that it's um, argumentative or something. It, it's, it, it feels kind of defeating because again, you have to really, really understand your place still, which it seems really awful because again, when it comes to being pro-indigenous that, comes along with being, you know, a little bit, you know, I, I, when I think about the government, I don't think about um, any fraction of it being for indigenous values. Like, even though we have Miss Auntie Deb up in, you know, Congress now and, you know, indigenous women that are matriarchs that are making a push through the education and academic system and the political system, you know, always will uplift and support all platforms. But for me to try to be back and try to take back some of the traditionalism that was stolen from us and eradicated, um, it, it's, it makes me feel more defiant and it makes me feel like it's my duty to do a little bit more. I just want to know as an indigenous woman trying to continue like the rhetoric that we need to have a proper seat at the table, you know, how can we do that in a form that's inclusive to people that have church trauma? That's kind of, again, I, I don't ever want to um, tell someone that they're um, wrong for their religious belief. I want to fight for your religious freedom to practice whatever you want. But we also 
We, I want more people to understand that the reason, like you read from the constitution, like we have, you know, establishments in writing saying that if something we do not feel is appropriate, we overthrow, we come together as a community and, you know, as a state and, you know, we say this isn't right, but how indoctrinated are we that we haven't done that yet? Yeah, like, exactly. So like how indoctrinated, how scared of we are of these white generational wealthy men that is in you know political platforms like why are we scared we have it in writing we have it in historical facts we have like you know the notion of you know having being educated enough to know that this isn't right and like why are why is everybody so calm when we should all be screaming right now you know and as a minority woman and as an indigenous woman you know who again uh, uh, who's uh, again land back um, missing and murdered indigenous women you know our bodies have been trespassed for with, you know, over romanticism, over sexualization, you know, there's so many missing girls um, in Montana right now. And it's just how we have to talk about indoctrination. We have to talk about first contact. Like it didn't happen that long ago. And again, until we talk about indoctrination, white supremacy pillars, I don't feel like we're ever going to like get, cause we know it's there, but have we really talked about it? It's kind of like when you start a job and you know, you're supposed to put the box on the shelf, but I want to talk to other people about how can I can like quickly adequately and maybe a different way that I haven't seen it put that box on that shelf. And that's what I really want, like, to get conversations started. So she is talking about being bold. And some people do not have the privilege to be able to just be like, oh, well, I'm going to play it safe in my words. They have to be heavy, hard, and bold in their words when they are coming at the church or the foundation of all of the misogyny and the patriarchy. And um, so I'm going to talk about my sister tonight. I might get a little emotional. I'm shaking a little bit, but I think it's a very important thing to talk about. Um, so me and my sister grew up in central Arkansas, poor as fuck. We, we grew up in sheer poverty in an abusive home and the church did nothing to protect us. The CPS did nothing to protect us. The system did nothing to protect me and my sister. And a judge was actually paid off to give us back to our sexual abuser. Um, and so I can relate on a lot of levels of what you're saying. Even as a white woman, I can relate as well as I think a white woman can. Obviously, it is not the same. But having gone through that and seeing the system betray my family and me and my sister in the way that it has it's opened my eyes in a lot of ways and it, yeah. it gives me a platform of empathy and compassion and understanding for the harm that has happened to the indigenous people and etc but um I, I said all this to say my sister committed suicide last january and um this is a very heavy triggering topic. So I just want to give a trigger warning that this is not going to be something that's easy to listen to, but, um, she has two boys and she was a single mom and she could not access abortion. Um, the last thing she did before she swallowed the pills was video, a clip, a video clip and texted it to me. And so literally her last words to me were, they wouldn't let me get an abortion. They wouldn't let me get a tubal because I didn't have permission from a non-existent husband. 
because she was in her early twenties. She was too young to make that decision. What if she changed her mind? What if she married somebody later that wanted a kid and then she couldn't give it to him? Like there was all these like heavy misogynistic tones of denial for her own bodily autonomy. And because of the level of trauma that we grew up in, she knew that she would not be able to be the mother that she wanted to be. And because of that, she carried tremendous guilt. And I will say this because I know that there are people that will rebuttal and say, well, birth control is a thing. Close your legs. Well, I hate that shit so much because she was on birth control. She asked for the permanent birth control. She, she asked for the preventative care to prevent an unwanted pregnancy and they denied her. And, um, she was so distraught over not being able to process the level of trauma that we lived through that she took her life and she wasn't able to be the mom to her boys. And a lot of people talk about, Oh, well, at least you have your nephews. Like she had two kids, you know, they always want to like guilt trip. Well, you know, these kids are now here, but these kids are now living with lifelong trauma and PTSD and they are 10 and 12 years old and they have watched their mom commit suicide and they have to live with this. They have to live with this. And it, it angers me to my core. I obviously love my nephews fiercely, but it, it goes to the foundational problems with society and how we are not supporting <laughs> women. We are not supporting children. We are not protecting children. They talk about, well, these children deserve homes. Well, I'm sorry. CPS had pictures of me naked with bruises from my neck to my knees and they did nothing. So you're going to tell me that all these children need to come forth into the world in these homes that are not healthy, that are, that are not good places for these children. For what? For more traumatized people? That makes me so angry to my core. I love my nephews, but here's the thing. If society had protected us when we were little, if society had been there when we needed it as children, she may not have had the trauma to feel like she needed an abortion or to feel like she needed to commit suicide. And so there's just so many building blocks that go to this. This is so much more than just about abortion, but this, this, it, it all plays in so deeply and just, there's just this foundation and it's just crumbling so it is it absolutely yeah. is when and, and especially when we talk about things like that and and we may not a lot of us may not be aware it we we're finding that like even saying uh commit suicide is terminology we we like to say died by uh died by suicide not to, yes, not to, I'm, I'm, I'm not still, no 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 i don't want to correct I, you i no you're totally fine i'm still getting used to seeing it that way because yeah. honestly like that shook me to my core she didn't and, commit it. she didn't have it she was put in that position because of the circumstances exactly and mm -hmm. so she died by suicide unfortunately exactly. because that was when when it, when it gets to that point it's it's not it's not something it's it's and that and so speaking of inclusive language when we talk about uh reproductive rights we we're not just speaking about about women and brandy i think that you would have firsthand experience on exactly that uh on why that language actually is very important yeah um my my two kids both uh assigned female at birth um came out as trans males um they use he him pronouns 
Um, but they also have a very good friend of theirs who is a, a non-binary person, um, also assigned female at birth, um, uses they, them pronouns. Um, all of these are uterus-owning individuals, people, you know. So when we look at reproductive rights and access to um, uh, quality health care for these individuals, um, Planned Parenthood is is one of the best places for um, them to go because they give them uh, they, they do testosterone. They do prescriptions for testosterone injections for um, people that are uh, lower income, you know, things like that. So I, my children have told me that they do not plan having biological children, which when I was growing up, my mother was like, oh, I want grandchildren. You and your sister have to give me grandchildren. And you know, yes, my sister and myself each had one biological child and we were done. Like there was no, no, we're not going through this again. Um, and when my kids tell me, you know, I don't want to bring a human being on this planet, in this country, in this state that is so beyond fucked up when there are children already in the system um, in foster care, um, needing to be up, you know, adopted. And even more to that fact, the amount of queer children in the system in foster care that need homes that show representation of, of the queer community, you know, that's kind of where they're at, but you know, one's 16, one's 18. And I have told them, I'm like, look, y'all got your entire lives to figure out children adoption that whole thing but if you do not want to put your body your mind you know all of that through the trauma of carrying a pregnancy uh you know going off of your testosterone so you could potentially get pregnant with a donor all of those things you know don't i don't see why you would have to you know it's not a thing that you know i'm not one of those you know, old school Southern ladies that like, oh, I must have grandchildren. No, I don't care. I don't care. It's not my body. Why am I going to tell my children what to do with their personhood and make them go through a trauma that that is childbirth or child raising for that matter in a country that does not care about anyone if they are not, not, you know, shiny white people. Let me just say that I am a very beautiful person. I'm sweet and intelligent and funny and awkward. And I just had to say that only because I'm a little tired of this stereotype about the angry black woman, whoop-dee-doo, right? Because as you can see, I am black and a woman, and I'm not angry at all. Hell, I'm pissed the fuck off. I'm mad 
as hell. I'm so mad, I'm getting ready to break my foot off in everybody's ass, but pretend this is class so I can tell you why I'm mad at the education system. Mad, cause education is the key, yet they keep the poor locked out. They get hand-me-down books and hand-me-down chairs. Hand-me-down teachers who give them hand-me-down stairs. I'm pissed off at gentrification. Pissed that the rich be Robin Wood hoods and mad that Robin Hood was just a motherfucking myth. I'm mad because Barbie is a standard of beauty. I hate that fruits and vegetables are so damn expensive. So how the poor gonna eat healthy off some damn tater chips? I'm mad that the government and media are controlled by the same people. And those same people are the same people who control everything. I'm mad women get raped. I hate that I only got three minutes to say this poem and I got about 10 minutes worth of angry. I'm mad that I can't say that I am a socialist out loud mad that the gay and lesbian can't be out loud and proud in the military and pissed off because only 28 states allow everyone to unite in holy matrimony and while i appreciate civil unions fuck civil unions if i move if i move to another state then the state of my civil union is at stake so what good is that gonna do for me in the state of wyoming and believe it or not i'm still pissed the fuck off about slavery that's right i'm still mad because i still pick cotton off clothes racks and never racked up reparations mad because niggers call each other niggas and sick because any minute sister girl's gonna turn around and call me a bitch i'm mad at black men for reasons i don't have time to list i'm pissed off at hip-hop I'm pissed off at black on black crime I'm pissed off that Ricky Rose got all the crack And we can't turn that shit back I'm pissed the fuck off, I'm mad Because above everything, at any given time And in any given space, I, as a black woman Can suffer from racism, sexism, homophobia, classism I can be raped, beat, beat, burned alive And no one, not a single soul Will look up to acknowledge my absence from this universe Because I am insignificant Because I am a black woman And finally, you see, I have every right to be pissed the fuck off But most of the times, despite what you believe, I'm really, really sweet. Roe v. Wade is not just a women's issue, how it affects everybody, everybody's reproductive futures. We've got to talk to conservatives who have used IVF and make them understand what fetal personhood means to those frozen embryos that they didn't use that now are all of a sudden going to have a right to the same rights that we all do sitting here. They've got a right to life, right? So we've got to find ways to have these conversations and build bridges with people that we might not always find ourselves in coalition with, we might not always find ourselves voting the same way for, but it's those conversations, those difficult topics and difficult subjects like we're talking about now that have to be tackled in some way before we can, we can begin to make inroads and we can begin to create that larger systemic change and maybe not, you know, tear the whole house down, but reset the foundation a little, you know, Mm -hmm. the way it should have been in the beginning, if we were all included in writing our country's documents. Um, 
but I think, you know, it begins with making noise. It begins with activism, but it has to end up in the voting booth or we're not going to make any change whatsoever. This is fantastic. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining me. Aria, stay, please. And yeah. everyone. Okay. Thank you all so much. We'll, we'll stay in messenger and we'll last. Make okay. Demon, right? I will, yes. Right, what is bye. it? Make a union. Absolutely. All right. We'll talk soon, yeah. everyone. I'm sure how this was going to go with so many people, but everybody that you had on was um, respectful of everybody else's time. They were very well-spoken they knew their shit. It's great. Well, they are women, after all. I know. <laughs> sure. No, I gotta. I gotta stop myself. I gotta. I gotta not be a misinterest. But yeah, you're totally right. That's fine.